AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thanks so much for joining us. We always appreciate that. We're ready to kick off a new week. Hope you're all adjusted with the time change. We're ready to roll. We're going to talk weather with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. A lot of uh, harvest got done this past week and weekend, plus some uh, fall field work. We'll see what the forecast holds for this week ahead. Ron Lamberty with the American Coalition for Ethanol joins us. We'll talk about EPA rejecting a claim for a small refinery exemption to the RFS, and also the plan by some Midwest states, governors coming together to, with an effort to move more ethanol. We'll talk about that. And we're going to talk with Jim Baer, president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association, what that U.S.-EU trade deal means as far as uh, the agreements they've come up with that could uh, open the door maybe for more exports. We'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. But we come back to, the, of course, the big news, the passage over the weekend, going into the weekend of the infrastructure bill. Joining us now from the West Coast is Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Mike. Always a pleasure to be with you, even though it's a little early out here in California. <laughs> but uh, we're looking forward to a, a great day with the Western Growers Association. Yeah, you're going. You're dealing with all kinds of time changes here. All right, let's talk about the infrastructure bill. Um, obviously, it's something that has a lot in there that agriculture has been pushing for and calling for for many, many years, and that and so it's exciting to finally have that. A couple of things stand out to me. One, this could have been done a long time ago as a bipartisan bill, but we know the politics that got caught up in it. My only reservation, really, about it is. We don't really yet know the price tag. I know it's a $1.2 trillion bill, but we don't know if this social spending bill that is still being worked on, if that's still going to be part of it. I mean, if it gets passed to me, it makes this infrastructure bill too expensive, but uh, that's on down the line. Let's look at what we have right now in this bill, what it means for agriculture. Yeah, so as we talked last week, you know, we didn't think it was going to be as early as they thought to get it approved, and in fact, it went into the wee hours of, of Friday night. Um, you are absolutely right. This could have been done much earlier. The Senate passed this package on August 10th. It was a bipartisan effort with 50 Democrats and 19 Republicans, and then it took until Friday night with a lot of arm twisting, a lot of drama, and in the, in the very end... Six Democrats opposed it, so there were not going to be the votes, but 13 Republicans supported it. So um, they got it past the finish line, up north, 218 votes. What we've got is an extension of several programs uh, into some out years, as well as $550 billion in new spending. And that includes lots of things for roads, bridges, uh, $65 billion to expand broadband, uh, waterways has about $17 billion. And so there are a lot of things that agriculture has been wanting to and what has been known as more of this hard infrastructure bill as compared to the soft infrastructure programs that are in the Build Back Better. Um, where we go from here is very uncertain. House and Senate are out on recess this week. We've heard that they want to come back and pass a revised uh, Build Back Better plan in the House the week of November 15th. I just don't know, Mike. I really don't know. They've got a lot of things moving on this. And even if they do pass it that week, it has to go to the Senate, where Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema have already signaled that they might not be comfortable with some of the things that are being stuck in this at the last minute. And so it'll be reconsidered likely in the Senate. Then it'll have to go back to the House. I mean, in the, the meantime, we're going to have a government funding deadline December 3rd. Well, we could be talking Christmas pretty easily on this next one, I think. Yeah, and already even some House moderate Democrats are saying, we want to see the CBO score on that social spending bill, and does it match up with the numbers coming from the White House? And a lot of people don't think that uh, will be the case, that, it, that they'll match. So there are reservations there already, even in the House, let alone what's, uh, as you mentioned, the the uh, reservations and, and perhaps just all the uh, red flags being put up by Senators Manchin 
and cinema. So it does have a long ways to go. Meanwhile, though, when we look at this infrastructure bill, uh, I mean, some of these areas have been needed to be addressed for a long time. Uh, roads, bridges, waterways, broadband is a big part of it as well, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, not all of it goes to USDA. Some of it does to build out programs that they've already started. But it, it's got um, a, a minimum speed in this thing that new projects funded under the bill have to have 100 megabits per second download and 20 uh, uploads. So there's going to be a prioritization of uh, looking at unserved areas for projects. I, I really think there's going to be some good things on broadband and, and throughout the thing. Um, one of the concerns I think people might have is that of this $550 billion in new spending, $120 billion is under competitive grants. So after the president signed, which he didn't do yet because he's waiting for people to come back and help celebrate, it will probably take, you know, nine months, 12 months to get all the rules uh, ironed out. And then people are going to have to compete for that $120 billion, really giving more power to the federal government to decide what gets funded and what doesn't. Obviously, there's a lot of things that are noted in here that need to be funded, but, you know, it's a change in uh, instead of having an allocation out to the states and then letting them all divvy it up, it, it's going to get a little bit more control into what happens through this competitive grant program. Yeah, th those are two key points you just talked about. One, more power to the government. And also, this isn't going to happen immediately. It's going to take a while. The other irony I find of this, one of the selling points for an infrastructure bill for the past several years has been, hey, it's going to create more jobs. Now it gets passed at a time we can't get workers for the jobs we have open already. Uh, we hear that everywhere we go. People have help wanted signs out. They're throwing bonuses at people to try to come to work. And even though we've got more people that are entering the the job market, it just seems like it's really, really tough. And, and couple that with the supply chain issues, and uh, I can tell you that folks are, are still pretty frustrated about their outlook for the economy, especially in agriculture. Real quick, what will be the big issues that you'll be uh, covering there with Western growers this week? Well, water and labor. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. It really comes down to a lot of that in the West. The lack of water is such a big concern. And looking at this infrastructure package, of course, we could see some really good things come out of that in terms of new storage and conveyance that has been improved. But uh, that's that's still kind of a long shot, too. So um, as people look at the lack of uh, available and, and efficient labor sources, they're looking at more innovation. And I think that's going to be a big focus of this event. How do we have, use technology as our friend to uh, do more harvesting, more planting, and, and try to move around that lack of labor supply. Sarah, always good to talk with you, and we'll look forward to your coverage of the uh, the Western Growers uh, meeting out in California. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Have a great week. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. We'll have uh, more analysis of the infrastructure bill coming up on tomorrow's program. Up next, we talk weather Hey, we've had a nice warm-up here so far in November. How long is that going to continue? We'll talk with John Baranek, DTN meteorologist, next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. You only get one chance to leave your mark on the land you love. So choose the soybeans with a legacy all their own. FS High Soy, the first proprietary soybean brand 
Heisley has been a part of the land for 50 years, offering the latest in trade technologies and elite genetics. Heisley varieties continue to provide industry charting yields. FS Heisley. See your local FS member company or visit fsheisley.com. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend-to-Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend-to-Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. And, John, we've had a nice November warm-up. It's let some more harvesting get done, some fall field work get done. How long is this going to last? Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, not very long, unfortunately. Uh, the active pattern is going to step back up here going into the middle of the week. But, yeah, it was really nice to see this weekend, uh, especially across the eastern Corn Belt where we were soaked uh, from the week prior and, you know, I had had a lot of good uh, had a lot of good temperature and and uh, dryness and sunshine to get out there and and uh, hopefully get a little bit more harvest in. Um, we've got a little bit of activity going on early this week before that big system was in. Uh, there's a there's a little string of showers that's likely to move through the eastern half of the Corn Belt here Tuesday into Wednesday, and for the most part, it's just light rainfall. It's not going to be too concerning, but there are going to be a couple of strips where that looks like it might be some moderate rainfall. Um, it's kind of hard to determine exactly where they're going to set up, but there's going to be a couple of spots there where it's unfortunate that uh, they don't have the extra couple of days. But the big system's moving in midweek. Uh, it's off the coast of uh, the Pacific right now. It'll be moving into the west here tomorrow and then into the plains on Wednesday. And as it does so, it's going to uh, really ramp up quite quite nicely here with a nice big line of showers and thunderstorms, uh, basically from Canada all the way down to Texas and uh, move across the eastern half of the United States here uh, on Thursday and into Friday. It's going to wrap up really big, too, and bring some cold temperatures down from Canada. That's going to change uh, the precipitation from rain to snow across the Dakotas and Minnesota. And uh, we're looking at uh, some potential blizzard conditions in these areas. Not looking at a whole lot of heavy snow, but blizzards really mean uh, strong winds while it's snowing and reduced visibility. So, that's really what we're looking at here across uh, the upper Midwest for Friday. Uh, we'll see some showers kind of lingering here across the eastern Corn Belt all the way through the weekend uh, as that system spins around here for a little bit. Um, not a whole, There may be some snowflakes mixed in with that as well, but uh, I don't really see a whole lot of accumulation uh, anywhere outside the Dakotas or Minnesota. But 
the active weather is coming, and uh, it's going to have some impact for harvest for sure, especially with those colder temperatures and, and the widespread rainfall. Um, we may get a little bit of a break going into early next week. Uh, we'll get some warmer temperatures to move up, but I think we're going to head, be headed for another impactful storm in the middle of next week, kind of doing something similar to this one this week. So uh, the active pattern's up, so as, if you find a window to get into your field, it's probably a good idea to do so. It, it sounds like the windows are getting uh, tighter all the time. Yeah, that's right. I mean, as, as, you know, the further we get through November, obviously, the colder we get. And so everything just slows down. Drainage slows down. There's nothing for evapotranspiration to happen. Daylight gets shorter, so we don't have a whole lot of sunlight to evaporate stuff off. And so, yeah, our windows keep getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So um, take them when you can. All right, talking with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. So, John, is this uh, kind of the, the big shift? I mean, as far as uh, the weather pattern, the system setting in now for uh, November and December? I think so. You know, the month of October was, was actually beautiful for much of, the, much of the country here. We're above normal temperatures basically across the board. You know, obviously we did see some uh, precipitation events that kind of hindered harvest progress across the eastern corn belt there late in the month. And, and uh, into early November as well. But, you know, that weather pattern that, uh, you know, happened during the month of October is basically gone. So uh, there's a big giant uh, system out in the uh, Pacific Ocean there in the North Pacific. It's been continually sending off pieces of energy into the country here. And, you know, we've really felt that across the eastern Corn Belt in the last couple of weeks. But the, the ridges that kind of pop up in the west to try and stop those are getting weaker and weaker as we go on. So uh, there's not much in the way of, of stopping these systems from moving through. So I think we're going to keep in the active pattern here at least through the end of November and going into early December. Uh, and I would not be surprised if that, that, uh, that pattern kind of continues until we get La Nina to really stiffen up a bit here. It takes some time for La Nina to really in influence the, the, the weather pattern in, the, in North America. Um, and we're kind of on the verge of it still. Uh, we haven't really dived deep into it yet, so we're still waiting for that to really have a huge influence. But um, you know, until it does, it looks like we're going to have a continual active pattern here across uh, North America. I was going to ask you, is this part of La Nina 2, our, our second half of the doubleheader of La Nina, but it's really not quite kicked in yet? Not quite. I mean, it, it sort of has across South America, which is kind of interesting. And uh, we've actually seen some good rainfall in Australia, too, which typically happens uh, as La Nina strengthens. And, um, you know, Australia has, you know, they're, they're starting to, to harvest their wheat and and over the last week, they've really started to see that pattern shift to a uh, to a more La Nina-looking pattern with, with increased rainfall. Uh, but it really hasn't influenced North America yet, so we're still waiting on it. All right, you mentioned South America. What's uh, they've been getting rain? What's what's the latest there? Last week was um, absolutely perfect. If you're if a farmer down in South America. Uh, widespread rainfall across the entire continent occurred last week. Uh, we did see a system move through late in the week and weekend that kind of cleared things out across Argentina, which had been really dry so far this spring. Um, they had a nice week of rainfall down there in Argentina. But that system moved through and, and kind of cleared things out for the weekend. But it's not really turning back into that really dry pattern across Argentina uh, for this week. They'll still see some isolated showers, mostly across the western half of the country here for the rest of the week. So it's not going to be completely dry like we've seen uh, so far this spring. Uh, and central Brazil has been just, you know, I don't know if you could get any more perfect uh, combination of, of, of weather conditions for central Brazil going on right now. And, you know, planters have really responded with that. You know, they're way far ahead they're basically done with corn, um, which if, if you were to translate that to North America, basically the beginning of May, basically being done with uh, corn planting. So they're way ahead on that, and soybeans are, are, are coming along just behind that as well. Um, that's setting them up really good for their second season corn, which should be planted in the uh, preferred time window, uh, which is typically in, in January and February of next year. 
and to try and escape all the dryness when that dry season kicks back in. So they're looking in really good shape in Brazil. As far as Argentina is concerned, though, you know, the isolated showers are not going to be overly helpful. They won't be hurtful, obviously, uh, but they're going to get another storm system moving through this weekend. So models are really are, are putting together some really good widespread moderate to heavy rainfall with this system. Uh, it's looking at a little potent, too, so they could get some severe weather, which is a little unusual down there. Um, but outside of that, the rainfall is going to be really good for them. So we're, we get, you know, I was thinking last week we might see some dryness returning to Argentina. And for the most part, we are seeing some, but it's going to be capped off with a nice uh, rainy weekend for them that should set them up for at least another week of good, good conditions down there in Argentina. So a pretty good start for them in South America. Uh, let's wrap up with this because we know that heating costs are going to be higher this year. So a lot of people in this country wondering about what kind of winter is going to be and what am I going to be facing as far as the heating bills are concerned. Uh, what kind of winter are you seeing for the U.S.? Yeah, unfortunately, um, it's the higher natural gas prices, and this may have something to do with the, the outlook um, as well, but the temperatures uh, over the, the, the course of the winter t- season are going to be kind of variable. Um, I think with this active pattern we have going on, you know, we're going to see uh, period, get some nice cold shots move down from Canada every so often. Uh, we're going to get one this week. We're going to get one next week. Uh, and that looks like that's going to continue through December. We're going to get these periods of, of colder uh, pockets move through. Now, typically during a La Nina season, those aren't just, you know, a, a few days. They're typically on the order of a week, maybe two happening. And uh, all the uh, years we look at that look similar to what's been going on so far this year and the La Nina forecast for the winter, um, really what we're looking at is, is a couple of really cold shots here, likely in December and February. Uh, so, you know, it's not going to be all day every day where we're going to be talking about cold air, but we're going to get some really significant shots move through. Uh, and I would peg February as almost a certainty. Every single year we looked at that looks somewhat similar to the year we're having right now has produced a significant cold event in the month of February. So um, mark that on your calendars. Uh, if you can and need to buy some propane uh, and fuel early, uh, if, you know, prices are a little high, but, you know, whenever you can get a dip, go ahead and buy it because you're going to need it at, at uh, various points throughout the winter, especially in February. All right. All right, John. Thanks. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Mike. Have a great week. You too. DTM meteorologist John Baranek. Up next, Ron Lamberty. Senior Vice President with the American Coalition for Ethanol. We have some news to talk about with him. Stay tuned. This is AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. So you're saying I could save some money now by bundling my crop protection products? But I'd miss out on the 5 to 15 bushels per acre advantage from Acuron herbicide? Mm-hmm. And the 4 bushel advantage Saltro seed treatment has over Olivo seed treatment? Yeah. And the 18 and a half bushels per acre advantage from Travipro fungicide? Yep. So the bundle deal isn't really all that much of a deal, is it? Nope. Better yield is the better deal. Talk to your retailer or Syngenta rep to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. As you wrap up harvest and prepare for the 2022 season, get a jump start by attending the DTN Ag Summit. This in-person event will be held December 5th through the 7th in Chicago at the Fairmont Hotel. Learn from agricultural thought leaders, including Ambassador Terry Branstad and John Deere lead economist Galia Barr, and much, much more. Register before November 25th to save $100 off registration. Get your tickets today at DTN.com backslash Ag Summit. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. In Friday's USDA Agricultural Projections Report, which forecasts their numbers for the next 10 years, the USDA estimates 2022 U.S. planted acreage at 92 million acres for corn, 87.5 million acres for beans, and 49 million acres for all wheat. China's soybean imports in October dropped 41% to the lowest level since March 2020, according to China's General Emission of Customs. Total soybean imports in 
in October were 5.11 million tons compared to 8.69 million tons last October. On the Board of Trade this morning, December corn trading a fraction lower at 5.52 and three quarters. The March contract down a fraction at 5.62 and a fraction of a cent. For soybeans, the January contract down six and a half cent at 11.99. March down six and a half cent at 12.11. For wheat, Chicago wheat December up a penny and a fraction at 7.67 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat December up two and a half cent at 7.81 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat December down a penny and three quarters at 10.07 and three quarters. The March contract down a penny and a half cent at 9.93 and three quarters. For livestock last week, Southern Live Trade had a range of 126 to 130 dollars, mostly at 128 to 132 to five dollars higher than the previous week's weighted averages. Northern Dress Business had a range of 200 dollars to 206 dollars, mostly at 202 to 204 dollars, two to four dollars higher than the previous week's weighted averages. For livestock on the Board of Trade, the December contract trading 37 cents higher at 132.17. The February live cattle contract up 37 at 130. 37.47. For feeder cattle, January up two cents at 159.62. March up five at 160.82. In lean hogs, the December contract trading 35 cents lower at 76.20. February down 25 at 79.22. You are listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we have some biofuels news to talk over with Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. Ron, good to talk with you again. Let's start off with the fact that EPA actually rejected a waiver request to the RFS. That doesn't happen too often, it seems like. No, it doesn't. I was uh, talking to somebody last week, and they mentioned it, and I said, I I hadn't heard that yet. Somebody else heard it before me, and my response was good. Um you know, the process needs to be there in case there are reasons to have waivers, and it's good to see somebody went through and decided whether or not it was merited and decided it wasn't in this case. And it's just, a, I mean, if the required volume obligations are done right every year, it shouldn't make a big difference anyway because the way the law was written, if somebody's not obligated, then all the other obligated parties divide up whatever's left. So it shouldn't have any effect on us. Um, but it's good to see that, you know, the law is being followed the way it's supposed to be followed. That was that was encouraging. That's a great point. I've said this over and over, over the years. Just follow the law. It's a law that works. If you just let it work and quit trying to mess with it, as they keep doing in Washington. And here's a case where, as you said, nobody's arguing that there shouldn't be a provision for waivers if they are justified, that's in there, that's in the law. Just don't be handing them out like Christmas gifts and Halloween candy. Well, and after the fact. I mean, when you hand them out after the fact, and I think the excuse was, well, that year's already over. You know, you don't need to do anything. It won't affect us. But then you have these, I don't have to, you know, the get out of the, the RFS free tickets that they can go out and sell or use to, to follow the next year's required obligations. So, you know, it just has to be followed the way it's supposed to be followed. And again, it's, you know, if it's 15 billion gallons, it's divided by whoever's obligated. And if somebody's not, that doesn't affect the 15 billion if it's if it's done right. It's, I mean, 
it, it, it's, a, it's an it's incredibly well-written piece of legislation that if they followed, we wouldn't have any of the problems we've been talking about. I, I wouldn't get to be I wouldn't get to be on your show. <laughs> well, I've always said that's what messes them up in Washington. They're not used to a piece of legislation working the way it's supposed to, and so they just feel like they have to they have to tinker with it for some reason. Uh, we're talking with Ron Lamberty with the American Coalition for Ethanol. Ron, uh, when you said after the fact, that immediately made me think of RVOs. You talk about doing something after the fact. They can't get these wow. things out on time, right? Well, and if they had, I mean, here's the the interesting thing about it. So 2020, when that happens, you know, the the way the law is written, EPA predicts how many gallons will be sold, and then there's a percentage converted there. Now, if you sell more gallons, the percentage is still the same, and we actually get more business. If there's less gallons, the percentage is is, is used, and the refiners are required to buy less gallonage. So if they would have got the thing done on time and they would have just said, you know, we expect 2021 to come right back to normal. Then it hasn't come back to normal. It's it's coming back, but it hasn't come back. But then the refiners wouldn't have anything to gripe about because if the if the volume is lower than expected, then they buy X percent of that instead of this. You know, the the 15 billion is the starting point. It's you know, if it's 15 divided by 150, it's 10 percent. It's been about 11 the last couple of years. So. You know, they they could have solved the problem by just doing it on time, but you know, I mean, we we don't have, I don't think we have this year's done, and and you know, m- m- much less uh, next year's. Yeah, here we are into November. We don't have this year's. It it's just frustrating. Yeah. All right. <laughs> So this looks promising, right? Uh, we have some Midwest governors wanting to work together to uh, help boost sales of E15. Uh, tell us about this project and this effort by the governors. Well, the governor sent a letter to uh, to the, the administration saying we'd like to be able to sell E15 in the summer. Now, we understand this court case was lost. Uh, we also understand that as governors we have options. Here's one of them. Um, rather than you know giving the one-pound waiver that E10 gets to E15 or other blends, uh, we could say that the E10 doesn't get a waiver, and then the base fuel that E10 would use would also make um, a legal fuel when you added 15% to it because that's one of those weird things about ethanol. It's actually much lower RVP than gasoline, but when you add it to, to when you add ethanol to gasoline, it increases the reed vapor pressure by about a pound. But it does that at 2%, and it stays at about that range until about 10 or 11, and then it starts to go back down. So 15% actually has lower reed vapor pressure thereby putting less into the atmosphere. But if you started and said, okay, so 10 pounds, 10% no longer gets the waiver, now you use a base fuel that's lower read vapor pressure, then the 15% and the 10% would both be legal fuel. So the governors do have the authority to do that, and they weren't asking for the authority to do that. They just said, you know, this is something we can do. And, I, you know, I think they'd rather EPA just took care of the thing um, but they just basically wanted to put them on notice that they're not just going to stand pat and let them destroy the 15 sales in, the, in these Midwest states. And you're right, and the other part you pointed out, it's a bipartisan bill. I think it was, it was five Republicans and, and three Democrats. So, I mean, it's, that's, that's, I mean, that's almost, it's probably rarer than a well piece of legislation. So they're going to do it? They don't have to have EPA approval to do it? Yeah, well, they they would have to have EPA approval, but EPA would you know would approve the request. They they'd have to okay. approve the request because. Um, but, but yeah, they they do have to send it in and say, hey, here's what we want to do. But they would rather EPA just made some change to get it done themselves. I see. I see. So we wait now to see what EPA's reaction to this is, right? Right, right. It, it still would be simpler for EPA to not have a patchwork of different regulations nationwide. And, you know, they thought they had something done that they could that they could rely on, and a court case changed that. So, uh, you know, if we give EPA the benefit of the doubt, let's hope they'll work on something that they can do that, that will last. But they're basically just saying, you know, beware. If, this, if something doesn't happen, we're going to probably send something to you, and let's get it turned around quickly. 
Okay, so we'll see. Seems like we're always waiting on something from EPA, so we'll see, we'll wait on this one too. Uh, let me let me get your thoughts on this because I I just this one I have many frustrations. It seems and this is one of them. Uh, after all these years of striving for energy independence and seeing the strides we made, and some say we were actually there, and whether people want to give credit or not, credit is due to the biofuels industry for helping us get there. What are your thoughts now being in the industry to see where we're at now and for our government to ask OPEC to pump and send us more oil after all these years of trying and finally achieving the breaking away from our dependence on them to see us asking them for more now? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, obviously that's one of those political things that based, that's based on oil prices because we don't need any more oil. We're not using more Um you know, we've got more, we're pumping more oil in the U.S. than we have in so many years. And basically it's going to refineries and then getting exported back out. So, you know, that's that's something politically that's motivated towards lowering oil prices so that, you know, because people are sensitive about it. I mean, when you think about how many gallons most people use, you know, farmers, farmers are the exception. But, I mean, the average person uses about 400 gallons of gas a year. So, you know, if the price of gas is a buck higher... I don't know, divide 40 by, you know, 400 by 12, and that's how much it's going to affect them in a year. And that's, you know, in a rural setting, but, or in a, you know, where you've got to drive long ways in between things. But, you know, that that's frustrating. What's, what's more frustrating to me, I think, sometimes is the fact that, you know, a lot of these policies don't necessarily mention ethanol when they're talking about these clean air things, when basically over the 10 years that, uh, California's had a low carbon fuel standard. They've lowered their their uh, greenhouse gases by uh, you know, three two thirds of a trillion tons of, of of CO2, and nationally it's you know multiple trillion you know several trillion tons of CO2 that we've taken out with ethanol, and it's like because there's this other thing on the horizon that might be better at some point, you know that that's something we ought to push everything towards it's like you know it's sort of you know not, not even what have you done for me lately it's kind of what do we what do i think you can do for me at some time in the future and because of that they're just telling us no yeah you know we'll just we'll you know you'll be fine we'll do something different um and it's it's not realistic i mean there's you know you talk to the even the electric utilities they see maybe a 20 percent electric vehicle thing by 2030 maybe 20%. Well, that's still 80% of them that are running on some kind of fuel. And what we'd like to see is for more of them to run on, you know, higher blends of ethanol. So um, that would that would make the atmosphere better. That would be better for any kind of, you know, pollution, climate change, whatever the heck you want to call. But um, yeah, it is sort of sometimes the policy doesn't seem like it matches what, you know, what we've done for the environment and for prices and for everything else. Yeah, I mean, if you just step back and look at it that way, say, wait a minute, you want to clean the air and you'd like to lower fuel costs at the pump. So you got two options. Uh, you could use something that you have right now, ethanol, to, that could accomplish both of those. Wouldn't have to do anything new. You got it right now. Or we could develop, start, you know, let's, let's wait and develop something that's going to take years and years to happen. <laughs> so we're going to we're going to take that latter option over the one we currently have right now available to us. Doesn't make sense to me. All right. Ron, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. You bet. All right. Thanks, Mike. Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President, American Coalition for Ethanol. Not saying we won't go to electric vehicles at some point. But that has to be developed. We have something right now that can address two huge issues, climate and fuel prices. Why don't we use more of what we have? Let's take a break. We'll be back with more right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash fieldposts. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
been a while since we talked with Jim Baer, president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. He joins us now. Jim, good to talk with you again. A, a number of things I want to talk about that impacts not just your industry, the Apple industry, but really all of agriculture, really the economy. Uh, but uh, what you're dealing with kind of is part of all of that. Well, let's start with what's happening on those West Coast ports and the backup there. How does that impact the Apple industry? Yeah, good to be with you, Mike. Uh, it's it's definitely impacting. Uh, Asia is our number one export market, and typically we would be shipping uh, about a billion dollars worth of U.S. apples uh, around the country, and a lot of them going to Asia. And not only is there a backlog of ships, which everybody can see easily on the news or their favorite news source, but the ships are often deadheading back to Asia. And so those ships that would ordinarily be bringing sneakers and computers and whatnot for, especially for holiday shopping season, they would be, um, they'd be taking apples and, and uh, frozen pork and other ag commodities back. And they're just not, they're just turning around and deadheading back. And uh, that's really, that's added to the, to the pain and suffering of trying to get into those markets like we should be. Um, we've had a, a recent uh, kind of agreement with the EU that kind of opens up some things, uh, you know, reducing some tariffs, dealing with steel and aluminum, a lot of different things. But I'm looking at bigger picture. Do you see this as kind of an opening maybe pass through some of our differences with the EU to maybe open that market up more to U.S. agriculture in general, your industry, the Apple industry in particular? Well, we certainly hope it is, and we know a lot of our uh, country cousins and other farm commodities are hoping the same thing. Unfortunately, and this is a story that farmers all over your listening area know all too well, is that the EU is very discriminatory against the U.S., particularly in the area of pesticide residues. And they are, for example, they're trying to get expedited access to ship their apples to the United States, but we can't ship there because of pesticide residues, even though we know that the EPA tolerances on pesticides are so strict that in the case of apples, a child could eat 340 apples a day with no uh, effect from pesticide residues. Nonetheless, the EU is keeping us out of that market. So the announcement that they're going to, the Biden administration is going to ease the tariffs on steel and aluminum from the EU. That's good news. We hope it's just the first step. But um, the short answer for right now is it will have little or no positive impact on our exports to the EU. We're hoping that the next step will be to ease the steel and aluminum tariffs on Asian nations because that's important to everybody. And for example, India was our number two export market for U.S. apples and has been for decades. But because of the steel and aluminum tariffs that we imposed on them, they imposed retaliatory tariffs on apples. And so the total tariffs on U.S. apples in India now are 70%. Obviously, that's going to have a huge impact on our exports, and it has. Our exports to India have declined by 75% in just two years. So we're hoping that this announcement on the EU will just be the first step and maybe a, a relaxing of those tariffs globally. A hopeful sign, but as you point out, the big differences are still in place. Uh, we still have to address those and deal with them at some point. Absolutely, and it's unfortunate. They... they protect their growers with these bogus scientific, uh, you know, or non-scientific uh, rules. They follow what's called the precautionary principle, which is to say that a pesticide residue at any level is unsafe and unhealthy. And we know that's not true, but they're measuring, uh, they're able to measure pesticide residues now down in uh, parts per billion, which is kind of hard to get your, uh, wrap your head around that, but just as a, as sort of a reference point, Mike, uh, one part per billion is equivalent to one second in 32 years. And another way to look at it is be like dissolving one sugar cube in an Olympic swimming pool. Those are the levels of pesticide residues that U.S. ag commodities 
uh, might contain, but nonetheless, they're being locked out of a lot of these important markets. And it's and it's really a loss in the case of apples. It's a loss for the European consumers because they're not growing all of the superior apple varieties that we have here in the United States, Honeycrisp and Pink Lady and others. And, uh, you know, they're growing a lot of average quality produce, and they wish that they could get what U.S. consumers uh take for granted, but they can't because of the ridiculous rules. Other than the problems exporting apples, how is our supply chain issues impacting your industry? Well, we're heavily dependent on trucking, and, and every industry knows that we're short tens of thousands of truck drivers in this country, and that may seem hard to imagine out there in farm country, but, you know, around the coast, uh, it's a constant problem getting people that can just uh, you know that can drive those those trucks and get the produce to market. So we're we're not as dependent on uh, barge and, and rail traffic like some uh, commodities, grains and oil seeds, for example. We're highly dependent on truck drivers, and we just can't get enough of them. So it, it's very tenuous. Uh, you know, this is we just are wrapping up the harvest right now, and and this is a big time normally for us to be shipping to consumer markets and uh it's not great it's not disaster yet but it's it, it's got a long way to improve that's for sure yep jim and thanks for the update those... oh yeah absolutely mike hope things are well out there in farm country nice talk yeah you know, i always enjoy talking with you because some of the th- even though a lot of our listeners aren't you know, involved with apple production, it, what you're dealing with has, you know, is kind of a, a reflection of what else is happening in agriculture. And always, we enjoy your products, so uh, we hope those apples keep coming to us. Thanks a lot, Jim. You bet, Mike. Take care. Jim Baer, President CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. Tomorrow, we'll have the latest meat export numbers and more analysis of the infrastructure bill. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're putting proven yield advantage to work in your fields. Extend Flex soybeans offer elite genetics built on the proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. In fact, farmers saw a 4 bushel per acre advantage and a 70% average win rate over Enlist E3 soybeans in 2020 germplasm trials. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.